invite your attention to Mark's record of the Gospel this afternoon and chapter 12 of that record. We will take our text beginning at verse 28 and reading through verse 34 of Mark chapter 12. We read, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength. And to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that, durst ask him the question. That preacher, I think, spoke well in the year 1843 when he told his fellow ministers that, quote, the object of gospel preaching should be to bring men to forget all other considerations in the overwhelming conviction of having sinned against God. But could we summon all the power and persuasion of language? Our text is a solemn warning that you may hear without truly hearing. That you may see without really seeing. And that you may think deeply without actually knowing. Oh, how preeminently necessary it is then that you, forgetting all else, are brought to this overwhelming conviction, the preacher called it, of your shockingly desperate condition to know to an extremity 
What means the inspired declaration of Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3, that we are sons, the apostle said, sons of the disobedience and natural born sons of wrath. These verses that we have just read meet us only days before the close of our Savior's public ministry. Their backdrop is the great court of the Jewish temple. And the hour itself is pregnant with meaning in the anticipation of that great day of sacrifice. That day when the lamb must bleed. When the lamb must die. But we must retrace our steps to the last verses of chapter 11 to find the beginning of this extraordinary scene. And it begins, you will recall, my friends, with a question of authority. Who demand the assembled Jewish authorities of this disturber of their peace? Who gave you authority? To teach and to do these things in our city and in our temple. Indeed. Indeed. So, is it to be authority? Power that they insist on knowing? And so be it. The king immediately will hold court now. And amidst a rabble of rebels... And this greater than Solomon confounds all comers with infinite wisdom, fulfilling Hannah's ageless description of praise. For Jehovah is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Pharisees who could hardly conceal their hypocrisy. Herodians who could barely disguise their ambitions and Sadducees who made no attempt at all to hide their scorn. All these in turn made their assaults by the most superb quandaries that human intellect could conceive, only to see their foolishness exposed as it broke upon the rock of divine wisdom. All were dismissed from the king's presence, marveling, says Chapter 12 and verse 17. And thoroughly rebuked for their great error. Says verse 27. Is this not, my dear friends, is this not Paul's exaltation personified? Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past Finding out. Oh, you. You who think to try your skill against the Almighty. I am obliged now to warn you that you are doomed to fail. The contest is infinitely unequal. Multitudes of every age have tried. The proud. The skeptical. The aristocrat and the atheist, kings and commoners, rich and poor, 
philosophers and prodigals, all have tried their hand at this fool's errand. And just when they think they have reached the apex of argumentation, believing they have woven their logic so tight that not even God, if he exists at all, not even God can escape their reasonings. He, he comes, he who is, as Mr. Bunyan said, all and always I. He comes to them speaking from the whirlwind. And he says to them, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee, answer thou me. You wish, my deluded friend, to strive with your maker as these did? Consider their end and be warned. It is just as Dr. Thomas Baldwin in 1812 proclaimed of all the accumulated foolishness of man that professed itself to be wisdom in his day. Reason's feeble lamp, he said, can light us no farther than the tomb. Here it expires and leaves us to pursue our wayward voyage on the vast ocean of eternity without either chart or compass and totally ignorant of our future destinations. Natural religion, he said, can afford no satisfactory or decisive answer. And if we explore the volumes of heathen philosophy, they will only convince us that the world, by wisdom, knew not God. All inquiry, he said, proves ineffectual until we betake ourselves to the divine revelation. A man must be a fool beyond reckoning to think that he may confound his creator. Isaiah, by inspiration, settled that question long ago for you. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth, Fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Or as Peter more directly admonished his hearers on that day of Pentecost, God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that is not subject to your approval nor dependent upon your affirmation. Learn from the apostle what these witless inquisitors should have known, but were taught at last to their everlasting shame. Learn and take heed lest you fall into the same condemnation. Oh, learn from Paul the apostle that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But then, just then, 
there comes another. A single voice with a singular question. A scribe, he is called. A man at one and the same time, a student and a master of the law of Moses. Hear him come with his question about authority. Master, master, what commandment hath the highest authority? He had listened intently to this Galilean rabbi's answers to priest, Pharisee, and politician together. And what was his opinion of their pathetic attempt at prosecution? He had answered them well, the record says. Now, this scribe, he makes bold to inquire. Speak to me, master, he said. Speak to me, he says, not about foolish and unlearned questions. Speak to me about the law. Speak to me about that great wall of partition between us Jews and all the world. Speak to me about the great. Nay, speak to me about the greatest commandment. If this scribe arrived on that scene as a skeptic, the Lord's answer utterly disarmed him of every rhetorical weapon in his arsenal. And what is the sum of the master's summary? What is the sum? Love. Love. Heart captivating, soul consuming, mind engrossing, strength exhausting, love to God and love to God alone. Not as a mere sentiment, not as a carnal emotion, not as an occasional sensation. It is a command. It is a demand. Constant, unvarying, perpetual love for Jehovah did he require as his inalienable right from this scribe. And he demands no less from every one of you. Your entire being from the first moment of your existence is bound by an eternal decree graven forever in heaven's law book to expend yourself in this one all-surpassing object, love to the first and best of beings. And your failure to do so relieves you not a whit from his demand. In fact, the Lord had already mandated many days before that this love he commanded center and fix upon his very self. you not recall that moment? Bring that scene fresh to your mind. Great multitudes followed close upon his heels. Then, then, knowing the very thoughts 
of every one of those thousands behind him. And unwilling they should deceive themselves a moment longer upon the terms of espousal to him, he turns. That mass of humanity stops in an instant. And in only a second, great silence reigns over the whole crowd. The incarnate God speaks. If any man come to me and hate, not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He Cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The unchanging, unremitting, everlasting command is supreme love to him and he will not relax that requirement in the least degree for any including you but then what saith our scribe his admiration for the Lord's answer is unmistakable well master or as it is in the original. Indeed, teacher. Truth speaking, that is. Oh, did this scribe but know to whom he spoke. He would have known it could not be otherwise. Truth incarnate stood before him. Answering his question. Had he but eyes to see it. Yet this scribe came with greater candor than all those who had preceded him. For he at least honestly acknowledged the truth. And integrity compelled him to confess that truth's supremacy to all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars. And his unadorned assent to the truth, spoken by the truth, Obtained from the Son of God this remarkable commentary. First, we learn that this scribe answered, what was the word? Oh yes, discreetly. Ah, oh, but our translators could hardly do justice to the adverb. Discreetly. He answered in the original, wrote the evangelist by inspiration. He answered as a mind haver. Yes, <laughs> a mind haver. Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit here in one word condemns all those impertinent pretenders to piety who had come before. And again, commends this lawyer 
for having mind enough to concede with his lips what his conscience could not deny. Thronging crowds and teeming multitudes at that, that very hour, though within sight of the temple and within earshot of the Christ, had little desire and no mind at all for this truth. But one at least, one at least was a mind haver. How is it with you today? But then there is this further message from the Master. A sentence at once alluring and solemn. Thou art not far. Oh, see, see, my friend, how he that first formed the soul and breathed life into it, see how he comes both wooing and warning the soul with a word. Thou art not far. Not far. Come. Come now. Come. Come fully in. Come out of your bondage into the glorious liberty of the Son of God. Come. Oh, you're not far. You're not far. But there's also a warning. A warning somber, stern, momentous, and unrelenting. Not far. Oh, scribe, there's still a distance. A distance both narrow as an instant and wide as eternity. There is yet a great divide between Mind having and heart possession. Oh, scribe. Oh, scribe. Not far. Yes. Though it be ever so near, not far is not in. This word cries in your ears as well today, my friends. Not far. Not far. You have, who have heard for years the gospel calls from this pulpit in family worship, in private conversation, in the pleading prayer, of a father, mother, brother or sister, or in that quiet hour when you're alone. The word of God so often heard at other times comes pressing with conviction on your soul. Not far. How little do you yet understand the astounding privileges 
and mercy is afforded to you by a long-suffering God. You have been the object of desperate prayers you knew not, and countless tears you saw not, and longing sighs to God in the night you heard not. All these have had their part in the place where you now stand, not far. You have watched here. You have watched the divine ordinances displayed before you. You have watched the bread broken and the cup poured to show the Lord's death. You have seen not so many days ago one buried with Christ raised to walk in newness of life. You have listened to the conversations of those who have a hope of salvation and wondered as they spoke of joys and sorrows that you have never felt. And you have here observed others walk by faith and increasingly fall after holiness, quietly questioning with yourself, how can these things be? Thou art not far. But there is another warning to you. And that is the unique danger of this condition. You here among us who are so near. You hazard your eternal all by the tenacious indifference of your soul to being not far. Consider your privileges far beyond those even of this scribe. You have been granted not one, but multitudes of meetings with the Lord of life, calling you by His gospel servants, calling you by His voice, crying, proclaiming, imploring you with tears, not far! You surely understand, do you not? You surely understand that your present condition in this life is not one of stasis, not one of emotion, but of incessant movement. You will be, you will be in the next moment either nearer or farther, but you will not always be not far. And I must remind all of you that are now not far of the infinite peril to your soul of mistaking proximity to spiritual things as possession of them. Beware, my friend, of being not far. But stay another moment for there is one more warning, and it is of all perhaps the most mournful. For you see, it is not contained in a phrase or a sentence 
or even in a word, but rather in silence. Look again with me to verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Oh, do you see it, my friend, in all of its terrifying features? Christ's word concerning this scribe, notwithstanding all that man's candor and all that man's mind happened, Christ's word is the final word. And it leaves this scribe not far. The crushing silence of the scriptures about this soul ought to move your soul to linger not a moment longer. Not far. Is it to be said of you also? None did ask him. One question more might have set this scribe's feet firmly inside of Zion's precincts. One word, in fact. How? How is the sinner to be made a lover of God? One question more might have made this scribe a companion of that old blind Bartimaeus who but days before received his sight and says to Scripture, immediately follow Jesus in the way. Instead, Instead, we read these awful words. No man, including this scribe, did ask him any more. Oh, of that great silence, that very great silence, that scripture and history set before our view of every one of those, this I think must be the most deafening of all. No man did ask. And this man remained from all that we know. Not far, but never in. How dreadful this scene. He was so near, but in the end, not far. Will silence shroud your remaining days? And the last word spoken concerning you be not far. Will you like that proud Agrippa in Acts 26? Will you be like him whose last word to Paul was 
Almost. Almost, Paul. Almost. How very much like not far does that word sound. Perhaps no more forlorn words concerning this almost. Those are the hymn writer of an earlier generation. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail, almost, but lost. The curtain closes on this man's history with the words echoing down through time and eternity. Not far. Have you not one more question that this scribe failed to ask? Will you not inquire how? The wise Dr. McLaren shall answer to you. You must have a thorough conversion of the soul to God. In a way of deep repentance, simple faith, and unreserved obedience. And until these be found in you, really, deeply, and abidingly, you are not a partaker of the kingdom of God. You are yet not far. Yes, you are this day, right now, not far. Come. Come now. Come in repentance, in faith, in obedience. Come with that confession of the anguished father in Mark chapter 9. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. That good old Puritan, Richard Steele, once observed that the outside of religion will bring you only to the outside of heaven. My friend, I know not how near you may come, but our text makes it plain to a demonstration that not far is not in. Oh, do not let silence be the last sound heard concerning your soul.